Good morning, church family. Hope everybody's doing all right this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you decided to visit with us this morning and decided to worship with us. Um, yes, sir. A couple of announcements before we begin our service this morning. Uh, let's, uh, we have our food drive starting November the 22nd, so please put that in your calendar, the Thanksgiving food drive we do every year, and also our special needs contribution. Uh, so please put that in your calendars. Updates are on a prayer list. Remember Friday Simpson in your uh, daily prayer? She had, she's having eye surgery, or she had eye surgery, and um, she's doing good, and she's at home recovering from that. Remember, continue to keep Gail Hewitt in your prayers that she underwent surgery, and she's at home recovering. Also, Cindy Baker, the mother of Kathy Haney, uh, recently had hip surgery, so remember her in your prayers. Um, John Klein is having artery procedure done this Wednesday, so remember to keep him in your prayers. Remember to keep John Klein in your prayers, and also remember to continue to keep Roger Pryor uh, in your prayers as he's undergoing tests at this time, and uh, keep Peg and your prayers at this time. And also, uh, Wanda Sowards, Wanda Lawson's uncle, fell at home and is now in a nursing home uh, permanently. So if you can keep um, Wanda Sowards in your prayers, it would be greatly appreciated. Wayne, sorry. Wayne Sowards, sorry. That's all the announcements I have. Um, oh, and also, remember to continue. If you're, we have some great classes on Wednesday. I know we can't meet here on Wednesdays um, for Bible class, but we have some online classes. We have uh, Rick Keister and Chris's class at 4 o'clock on Facebook. Um, if you're interested in getting on that, please see Chris. Um, we also have at 6 o'clock the text message that goes out to all the families and this is just for you to have a family discussion uh, around some simple questions and a Bible verse and this it lets you have that open discussion uh, with you and your family uh, about the Bible and also we have the ladies class at 7 o'clock on Wednesday as well and if you're interested in doing that uh, please see Kelly Williams or Mandy Trevathan uh, on that if you're interested in joining the ladies class um, Kelly I think Kelly's teaching that class as well um, so got some great classes through that midweek um, if you're struggling spiritually in the middle of the week so I do encourage you to uh, get on to those classes um, that's all the announcements I have at this time uh, let's go to God in prayer our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with this day, Lord. This opportunity to come here this morning to worship you, to sing praises to you, Lord. Lord, continue to be with this church family, Lord. Watch over us, keep us safe, Lord. Lord, be, continue to be with our elders, be with their leadership, their guidance, Lord. Let them continue on going to your word for, for guidance in life, Lord. Lord, continue at this time to be with our sick, be with the ones who are recovering from COVID, the ones who are being quarantined at this time, Lord. Just be with them. Be with this. Lord, please get rid of this awful virus. 
and we can get back to our normal lives, Lord. Lord, be with ones who are dealing with cancer at this time. Be with the doctors who are taking care of them and the nurses who are taking care of them, Lord, and be with the family members at this time, Lord. Lord, we ask you to continue to be with our shut-ins, Lord. You know, we encourage people to come here, Lord, but um, if they have, they feel ill or sick, Lord, and they need to stay home, Lord, we understand, Lord, and we know that you understand as well, Lord, that um, that we can still praise you online, Lord, and, and still have communion. Lord, continue to be with us as we worship you. Let our hearts and minds be focused on you this morning. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. Our first hymn this morning, number 282. 282. I know that my Redeemer lives. <clears throat> Sing the first three verses. I know that my Redeemer lives and ever prays for me.
We pray with me, please. Father God, we are truly thankful for all that you give us and all that you do for us. We're thankful for another Lord's Day, Father, where we can assemble together, where we can worship you in freedom, in truth, where we can do the things that you ask of us. Help us, Father, to uh, participate this morning. Help us to, um, to recognize. Uh, your awesomeness that recognize who you are and what you've done. We ask, Father, your blessings on the church here and the many things that we are involved in, the many things that we're faced with, many, Father, who are sick, who are hurting, uh, many, Father, who are uh, just quarantined at this time, putting their lives on hold because of the virus. And we ask, Father, you bless all those who are hurting because of the virus, who are sick with it, who are exposed to it. We pray your blessings upon uh, them as they deal with it. Uh, help us, Father, as we go about our daily lives. Help us to be an encouragement to those around us. Help us to take advantage of the opportunities that we have uh, to serve you, to serve those around us, uh, to love one another. Help us never be ashamed, Father, of who we are and never back down from, uh, from your will. We ask, Father, you bless this nation and the unrest that we are in presently. We know, Father, that you still govern, still rule our lives. And we know, Father, that you promised to always take care of us. Help us to cast our anxiety on you. Help us to cast our cares on you, Father, because you've said that you would take care of them and take care of us. Continue to guide uh, those, Father, who, who lead this nation. Uh, we pray, Father, that you'd grant them the wisdom that they need to make the decisions uh, that would protect the freedoms that we have. Most of all, Father, the freedom to worship. We ask, Father, you continue to bless us in our service this morning. Help it be pleasing to you. Help each of us, Father, to be uh, edified and uplifted uh, by being here today. Forgive us, Father, of our sins. We have so many. Each of us struggle, Father, in our daily lives to serve you. Strengthen us uh, in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The reading this morning. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Hymn number 300, number 300, I will sing of my Redeemer, I will sing of my Redeemer.
We come to the time in our worship service where we turn our mind back to the cross and remember Jesus' death and what that means for us. And to help us prepare our minds, I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, in the words that Paul said. For I received from the Lord that I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When I was reading that, I can can't help but to think of what Jesus wanted us to remember. He wanted to remember his death and obviously what it stood for. But also, he wanted us to remember his life. All the teachings that he had, all the parables that he told, the way that he talked to each other, the way that he talked to the disciples and taught the disciples, and the way that he loved us. And he wanted us to know that we have hope, that we have hope and desire to meet him in heaven. And I can't think but anywhere else that is better that spirit explains this is in Peter's writings in 1 Peter in verse 1 starting in, in verse 3 in chapter 1 Blessed be the God of our Father our Lord Jesus Christ and according to his abundance mercy has begotten us again a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be valued in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes through its test by fire, may be found to praise honor and glory to the revelation of Jesus Christ whom having not seen you love though now you don't do not see him yet believing you rejoice in unexpectable and full of glory Peter described it he knew what we have to look forward to and it's through Jesus's death and burial and resurrection that this all can be possible, that we have hope to be reunited with him in heaven someday. Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, this opportunity to gather here this morning and to remember your son and the sacrifice that he made on behalf of all of us for our sins, Father. Father, we take this bread, which represents his body. We ask that we do it so in a pleasing manner to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let us pray. 
Our Father in heaven, as we continue to remember Jesus and the love that he had for us, we ask you bless this fruit of the vine, which represents the shed blood, which washes away our sins. We ask we take it in a manner pleasing to thy sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper is the collection. There's offering containers sitting in the back of the lobby here. If you would like to place your offerings in them as you leave to do the work of the church. Let us go to God in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the blessings that you bestow upon us on a daily basis, Father. Father, we ask that we have a cheerful and giving heart as we return a portion to you for the strengthening and the fulfillment of your church here on earth. Father, we hope that everything that we do and say and with these funds strengthen your, your, your church. Father, we ask that you be with the elders that oversee them, that you may direct them in a way that's pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's please stand again, if you would. We'll sing 274, I Have Found a Friend in Jesus. <clears throat>
72, I have decided to follow Jesus. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you back this morning. We are going to be in the Gospel of Mark again today. We'll be turning to Mark chapter 2. Uh, before we get into our text this morning, I had uh, one additional announcement to make you aware of. As, uh, as the virus has gotten closer and closer to, to us and more people have been affected than you actually know, uh, we've kind of been waiting for it to affect someone in the congregation directly. And today, uh, we wanted to let you know that Pam Leap has, has the virus and that we wanted to, uh, to offer a prayer for her, also for just kind of everyone in our community and around, uh, around our world that has this, this virus and plead with God yet again to, to take this thing away from us and to, to you know, let us get back to doing what, or what we're going to be, what we want to be doing. Um, so Gary and Pam will be quarantined for two weeks, and I think uh, Jerry and Mary are also going to be quarantined for just a couple of days to make sure that, uh, that they don't have it as well. Um, so we want to offer a prayer for uh, for our elders, for our congregation, for, for our community. But uh, if you will, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We've, you've been beyond generous to us, God. And we're grateful for the things we have from your kind hand. We're thankful for your word today as we delve into it. We pray that you help us to open up our hearts and to, to truly see Jesus and the ramifications that that has for our, our daily lives, Father. We pray now especially for, for Pam. We pray that you'll alleviate the symptoms, Father, help this to, 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 to go quickly and that it, it not be a very serious illness at all. We pray that you'll restore her health, Father, keep, keep Gary safe, keep Jerry and Mary safe, Father, just continue to watch over all of us, use us in ways that bring honor and glory to you, Father, help our mouths to say things and our hearts to feel things that honor you, Father, help us to speak light into a dark situation, Father. We know that you have the answers, that you have the security, that you have the hope that we're looking for uh, in the midst of this panic-driven society. We pray that our hearts will always turn towards you as we seek your face, Father. Again, we pray that you'll heal all the ones who have this virus, Father, that it may not be serious, especially as they're connected to our congregation and our community, Father, that You'll watch over all of us and, and restore um, all of our members back to, to the health that, uh, that they want, Father. We're looking forward to our, our study this morning. We pray that you bless it, Father. Continue to watch over us and, and to, to use us to bring people to you, Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 2 this morning. We've got quite a bit of ground to cover once again. Like I said last week, Mark enjoys this fast-paced style uh, where he's going to teach you a lesson and he's going to tell several stories to uh, punctuate his point. And so today we're, we're picking back up with uh, Levi. Levi has another name. You're familiar with him. He, his name is Matthew. He's one of the 12 disciples. He's also a tax collector. And so today you get to hear Jesus call or Matthew. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we, uh, we talked about what a disciple looks like and how he acts. I want to cover some of that ground again uh, today, maybe from a different angle as we look specifically at, at Levi. He's a tax collector. He's sitting in his tax booth when Jesus comes and he says, hey, come follow me. And immediately Mark drops everything and he comes and he follows Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about this episode is 
becoming a tax collector took a lot of money up front. Uh, Levi would have had to mortgage just about his entire life. All of his, all of his possessions, all of his savings would have gone in to buy this tax booth. And so it's very interesting that when Jesus comes by and he says, hey, come follow me, Matthew doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't say, well, Lord, let me get my, let me get my affairs in order. I'd love to follow you. I've heard your teaching. I've seen maybe some of your miracles. And I think you're special. And so I would love to follow you. But just let me, let me sell this tax booth. Anybody would want it, right? So just let me sell this thing. It'll be very quick. And then I'll come follow you. I'll find you maybe in Judea. He doesn't do that, right? He leaves everything. And immediately he follows Jesus. And so you begin to get an impression there of what a disciple does. We are so excited to follow Jesus, that no matter what gets in our way, we don't pay it any attention. We don't love anything as much as we love Him. And that's difficult for us, right? Because money is kind of at the forefront of, of our minds, kind of on a constant basis, right? It, it makes the world go round, as we say. But Matthew is a pretty good example here of what we can assume was possibly a greedy guy. He got into this tax profession for what we can only assume as greed. The Bible doesn't, doesn't spell this out for us, but I can't understand, my mind can't wrap around why a good observant Jew would sell everything he owns, become a literal traitor to his people, be outcast. He could not even go to the synagogue to worship. He couldn't go to the temple. He could not eat with any of his uh, other Jewish friends. He was a pariah, an outcast. Why in the world would anyone choose that life? The only thing I can think of is that he wanted the money. It begins to make sense, doesn't it? We can put ourselves in his situation and figure out pretty quickly, we might have made a similar choice. But when we put ourselves in his shoes on this day, when Jesus walks past him and says, hey, come follow me, what would you have done? Would you have dropped everything and come followed? It's a difficult question, right? What's interesting about this scene also, if you pass, go past where Jesus calls Matthew, what's the next thing that Matthew does? Well, check it out. It's in Mark chapter 2, verse 15. And at table in his house, reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him, Mark throws a party, and he invites everyone he knows. We don't know how many people Mark invited to this party, but we know who showed up, right? Remember, Matthew, Levi, is a tax collector, and he is not liked by his Jewish counterparts, not liked maybe is, is not strong enough, enough of a word. He was seen as a traitor. He was the Benedict Arnold of the Israeli faith. <laughs> this guy, nobody wanted to be around him. And in fact, if you were a good, observant Jew, having lunch with Matthew could cost you your spot in the synagogue or the temple next week. Beginning to see the ramifications of this, he is not doesn't have good standing in, in, in Judaism. And so he invites people to his house that are like him. You read, go back and read the text. He invites tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts, the pariahs, the people who were, no one else wanted anything to do with these people. If you go back through and you look at how this word 
other sinners, you know, tax collectors and other sinners, usually that other sinners category involves people who are thieves, like the ones that were crucified with Jesus, uh, murderers, prostitutes, people who led lives of sin. These were not people who sinned. These were people who led lives, who led sinful lives. They had made a decision to sin. And Matthew invites them to his house to meet Jesus. Now, there's a powerful point for us there, right? Jesus wants you to come, just as you are. You ever thought you're not good enough? I think that's probably crossed most of our minds, at least at some point in our life. I've made some mistakes, and I'm not good, right? I'm sinful, and I've made some sinful mistakes that have ostracized me from the face of the Father. Why would he want to be a part of me? Why would he want relationship with me? Why would he want a connection with me? That doesn't make any sense. I'm not worthy. Jesus says, this isn't really a question of whether you're worthy or not. It's a question of whether I want you or not, and I do. I want you. I want connection with you. Are you worthy? I don't care. Come as you are. Now, here's the interesting point. He invited tax collectors, people who for what we can tell, were so focused on money and greed that they allowed it to clout every other aspect of their judgment. He invited tax collectors, other sinners, people who had led lives who were so far outside of God's will for them, they couldn't see daylight. He invited them to come be with them, right? Here's the cool thing. He didn't want them to stay that way. He invited them to come just as they were. Tax collectors, thieves, robbers, liars, people who had led sinful, hypocritical lives. You come. I, I want connection with you. Don't care about worthiness, but I want connection with you. But I don't want you to stay where you are. You can't stay a liar. You can't stay a thief. You can't stay a tax collector. And it's kind of obvious here what Mark's trying to do. Matthew is... A tax collector. Someone focused on things that God is not focused on. Someone focused on, from what we can see, of his life. Someone focused on sin. Greed. What did he do when Jesus said, come follow me? He left that. Right? And that's a huge lesson for each one of us. Jesus wants you just as you are. It's not about being worthy. We're not worthy. It's not being, about being worthy. It's about whether he wants us or not. And the, question, the answer is, yes, he wants us. He wants you. He wants to be in connection with you. No matter what you've done, no matter whether you were David, who slept with Bathsheba, a woman who's not his wife, who had a man who's, uh, uh, who had done no wrong, who in fact had helped him on multiple occasions, saving his life, murdered so that he could hide his own sin. Did, did God want connection with David? Absolutely. Are you worse than David? Nope. What about Paul? God won't connect with Paul. The same Paul who took the fight to the church and was the single, had single-handedly put the fear inside the church. Fear for their lives because of the stoning of Stephen and all the things that he had planned to do. Did God want relationship with Saul of Tarsus? Absolutely. Are you worse than Saul? Nope. He wants connection with sinful, 
ugly people. The amazing thing is, he says, you can't stay there, though. Come to me just as you are, but don't stay there. You have to move past that. I think that's, I think that's what Mark's trying to get to us here from, from Matthew's call. These next couple of passages, there's Matthew from The Chosen sitting at his tax booth. These next couple of, uh, uh, of questions, or next couple of sections, deal with three questions that the Pharisees are going to ask Jesus. You've seen them kind of sitting on the fence up until this point. Uh, starting in, in the first opening passages of Mark's gospel, he pictures the Pharisees as kind of looking at Jesus, and they're kind of calculating. They're, they're trying to figure out, who is this guy? He teaches in an amazing fashion, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, he doesn't go back to other rabbis. He doesn't go back to, to the law. He says, this is what the law meant all along. And so his teaching is different than everyone else's teaching we've ever heard. And he can do miracles like we've never seen before. And so you kind of, sit, you kind of watch them sit back, and they're taking count of Jesus. Who, who is he? And they don't, they don't really know. But as they're sitting back watching him, some of the words that he's saying are hardening their hearts, aren't they? Because they don't want to hear it. Why? Because they're perfectly content being God themselves. And Jesus' mission here is to take back the kingdom from the Pharisees. In Mark, that, that's, his, that's his goal, his mission. He says that early on in Mark chapter 1. Um, he's taking back the kingdom from the Pharisees, and they don't like that. He's telling people, don't listen to them. They're leading you down a path that only leads to destruction. They're not right, and they're not righteous. They're bad, right? So don't follow them. Listen to me. Everyone has to submit to Jesus. His word is law, not theirs. His word is law. Submit or be condemned. They don't like that. So their hearts start hardening all throughout Mark's gospel. You'll see a little bit of it today uh, with these questions, and then we'll get into Mark chapter 3, hopefully, today. But you'll see a little bit of their hearts hardening, and then this back and forth with the Pharisees as they try to figure out who Jesus is and what to do with him. But that's our question as we walk through this gospel ourselves. Who is Jesus and what are you going to do with him? Today you're going to see what not to do with him and see some of the consequences of the Pharisees' decision here. So like I said, they've been sitting on the fence up until this point. Today they're making a decision. Today is kind of pivotal in, in the Pharisees' life. And you're going to see Jesus' reaction to that which is a lesson in and of itself. But the first question here comes to us right after uh, or during Mark Matthew's party with the tax collectors and, and the sinners. The Pharisees come up to him. They ask him this question. Why, why don't... Why, why, <laughs> I got my slides out of order. Why, uh, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? If you go back and you look at Mark chapter 2, Look in verse 17. This is Jesus' answer to them. This is really amazing. He's going to flip it on the Pharisees' heads a little bit here. And when Jesus heard it, because they didn't ask the question to Jesus, they asked it to his disciples. That's going to be important in a second. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, 
here's why this is important for the Pharisees. This is why he's telling this to the Pharisees, because the Pharisees think that they're righteous, right? They think that they're not sick. What's what Jesus is really saying is, you're just as sick as the tax collectors and the sinners. The only difference between you guys is, you don't know it. The tax collectors and the sinners are well aware of their attitude and their distance from God. And they want to close the gap. And so they're coming to Jesus and listening. What are the Pharisees doing? They hold Jesus at, arm, at arm's length and they refuse to listen to what His teaching is, refuse to submit. So Jesus says, you're just as sick as the tax collectors and the sinners, but you don't even know it. You begin to see His heart, even for them, even for the Pharisees and the scribes. You begin to see how much He hurts for them. You'll see that as, as we progress too. And so this first question, why, why, does, your, why does Jesus eat with with uh, tax collectors and sinners? Well, because he came to call the sinful, the ones who are not well. And that includes all of us. So come to Jesus, however you are, with all your sin, with all your mistakes, with all the things, with all your baggage. He wants connection. But you can't stay like that. You have to be like Matthew and follow him, submitting in every way to him without, without question. The second question about time we got to this slide, right? The second question, uh, the Pharisees come and they ask Jesus is, why don't your disciples fast? Now, this is an interesting question because John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples fast as well. The, the Pharisees <clears throat> fast two times a week. John was an ascetic, uh, so he, he kind of uh, uh, damaged his body. You know, he, he was... Um, he was into fasting. The, the, that kind of idea appealed to him. Rightly so because of his mission. But the Pharisees fasted two times a week. Usually it was Mondays and Thursdays was when they would fast. And they would make a big deal about it. And you even get to see um, the, the Pharisee, what's it in Luke 8, I think, where he says, I fast twice a week. And, and you know, the tax collector's on the other side. He won't even raise his eyes up to heaven. So this is a pretty common practice. The Pharisees would have fasted about twice a week usually. And so when they come to Jesus, they say, we notice something odd about your disciples and you. You guys don't fast. That's odd. Why don't you fast? Because we fast, and we're the standard, right? No, you're not the standard Pharisees. God's the standard. Second thing is, He never told you to fast. There's not a single command in the Old Testament anywhere you can point to that commands the average Jewish person to fast. The priests were commanded to fast one day out of every year. On the Day of Atonement, the priests were told to fast. Now, they usually had fasting for uh, specific reasons. So, like, remember when Esther... Uh, in Esther, she, she asked the whole nation to fast, all the Jewish people to fast. Uh, you, on, upon deaths, upon sicknesses, um, things like that, the Jewish people would fast, but it was never enjoined, never commanded by God for them to fast. And so the Pharisees are, are saying, look, they look at Jesus and they say, here's our standard, bud, you're falling below it, you know, you got to... Gonna rise up here next to us. This is our standard. Why, why aren't you matching up to it? Jesus' answer comes in the 
two forms. And I want you to read this because this passage has always um, confused me a little bit until I started studying for it this week. And I think I've got it figured out. <laughs> so uh, I want you to see what, what happens here. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came to him and said, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So stop right there. He's going to go on. But I think that's the, the second part of his answer to them. The first part, Why don't your, why don't your disciples fast? Because they're not sad. He, he pictures, he has this picture of a wedding feast. You know, the, the groom is there. Everybody's happy. So why would they be fasting? You only fast when you're sad. My disciples are happy. Now's not the time for fasting. Later, after Jesus is gone, they'll be sad. And then, then will be the time for fasting. But right now, it's a time of celebration. That's one of the reasons why they don't fast. The second reason is maybe a little bit more... Um, not easily seen. It's a little bit, uh, it's a different line of logic, I think. So read this with me. I'm, I'm guessing you've ran into this verse too over the years and thought, what is he doing here? Well, he's doing something clever, as Jesus is wont to do. Verse 21, second reason why Jesus' disciples don't fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts a puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And so why don't Jesus' disciples fast? Because Jesus didn't come to conform to the Pharisees' tradition. That's essentially what he's saying here, I think. His disciples aren't fasting because he doesn't have to match up to the Pharisees' traditions. They're not the standard. In fact, if they don't start lining up behind him, if they don't start submitting to his teaching, they are going to be condemned. He uses this illustration of an old um, garment. Maybe you've got an old robe and it's got a tear in it. He says, you, you don't put a brand new patch on that thing because what happens when you wash it next time? Well, it rips, right? Because the patch doesn't, it expands and the fabric doesn't. It's done expanding, so the, the tear is worse. Jesus is the new teaching. And he's trying to shove it into the Pharisees' hearts. But they're not going to submit to him, so what's going to happen? They're going to explode. They're going to be condemned. That's why his disciples don't, don't fast. Because they don't have to. They're not sad. And he didn't come to conform to the, uh, the Pharisees' teaching. They need to be conforming to his. Third question. Look on down to verse 23. Jesus' disciples are coming uh, into Jerusalem and they are uh, hungry. And so they, what do they do? They start picking off the grains uh, of, of uh, or picking off the heads of the grain as they, as they walk. Now, this is a problem because the Jewish uh, Pharisees said that you can't work on the Sabbath day. Saturdays are made for God, devotion to God only. You can't work on Saturdays. Now, they also said you can't walk more than 1,999 steps. If you walk 2,000 steps, big no-no, John. <laughs> Only walk 1,999 steps. Anything above that on Saturday, on the Sabbath day, is considered work. And so you can't walk that far. It's 
possible, maybe probable, that Jesus' disciples have walked more than 2,000 steps. And so maybe some of that, um, some of the Pharisees' accusation is coming from that. But they also point at this idea of them picking off the grains, um, the head of the grains, as they walk through the field. You can't harvest on a Saturday. On a Sabbath day, you can't harvest. And so the Pharisees kind of looked at Jesus and his disciples and said, well, why are you doing what's... Look at the text. Verse uh, 24. Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They're sinning. Why are they sinning on the Sabbath day? Now, was it sinful? Is what Jesus and his disciples doing, is that sinful? Jesus defends himself pretty good, uh, I would say here. At the end of this passage, at the end of chapter 2, he brings up this episode with, uh, with David. <laughs> David, as he's running from King Saul in the Old Testament, uh, Saul ha- has uh, kind of gone insane. He's accusing David, and he thinks David, he's paranoid. He thinks David's going to take over the kingdom. And so David has to flee from King Saul. On his way out, he has uh, gathered kind of a band of brothers, guys who are loyal to David, and they're going to be loyal to him for the rest of his life, uh, including in this list, I think, is uh, uh, Uriah. Bathsheba's husband. There's a little interesting tie in there. But he's gathered this band of brothers and they're leaving. They're fleeing for their lives away from Jerusalem, away from Saul. But they're hungry. They don't have any food. They had to leave so quickly they don't have any food. And so what's he do? Well, he stops by the tabernacle and he asks the priest for the showbread. Now, showbread is something, uh, there were 12 pieces, 12 loaves of bread, each one weighing around 11 pounds. So think, very large loaf of bread. These things were put inside the tabernacle tabernacle and later the temple as an offering to God. Every week there would be new bread and the priests were given the old bread and they could eat it and it was never moldy, it was never bad. There was something, God was in this bread and had functioned in a way that it was fine to eat even after a week. And so David comes into the, tab- into the tabernacle and he asks the, the high priest there for the bread and he gives it to him. And so Jesus says, is what he did sinful? Because that was only for the, for the, high, for the priests. Jesus couldn't eat that bread, right? That was just for the priests. Is what, is what David did sinful? And the Pharisees would die on that hill. David never did anything sinful. You know, David was a good man. He was a man after God's own heart. And Jesus kind of says, well, why are, you, why are you persecuting me when what David actually did was wrong? But God kind of, it's one of those things he winked at, I guess. Um, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't hold David accountable for that particular action. And Jesus is saying, what I'm doing is not actually sinful. God never said you couldn't work on the Sabbath day like this, picking grains uh, heads of the grain. That was something the Pharisees had condemned, but God never actually said that that was sinful. And then Jesus backs up his statement here with this amazing statement in verse 28. Uh, verse 27, he says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So you weren't created for rest, right? But rest is good for you, is essentially what he's saying here. So Sabbath wasn't, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord. I'm the King over the Sabbath. I kind of get to say how it functions. And he just leaves it there with the Pharisees. So that's, that's their three questions. And you see, as you go back through the text, you see their animosity toward Jesus increasing. 
the first question they ask, they don't even ask directly to Jesus. They ask it to His disciples. They're too scared to come to Him. The second question, they address directly to Jesus. They're, they've got a little bit more gumption now. They're feeling a little bit um, more uh, forward, a little bit uh, prouder of themselves or whatever. Maybe He's gotten under their skin a little bit with the first question. So now they come directly to Jesus to ask it. The third question, they accuse Him of sin. They're becoming more and more harsh toward Him. You begin to see them making their decision, don't you? They were sitting on the fence. Who is this Jesus? He's an amazing teacher. He, he has incredible power. Who is this person? And then He says, submit to me. And the Pharisees say, nope. We're not going to do that. We're in charge. This is our law. You abide by it. You submit to us. Jesus says, nope. I came back to take the kingdom over. You submit to me or be destroyed. Alright. Mark chapter 3. Let's see them make their decision finally. We're in the synagogue again in Mark chapter 3. We're on another Sabbath day. This may be the same Sabbath day as before. Um, we're not told exactly. But Jesus enters the synagogue and there's a crowd in there and He's going to heal someone who doesn't come to Him. Most of the time when Jesus heals somebody, how's that happen? Well, they rush up to Him they say, please heal me, I've got this sickness and please help me. This, that's not going to be the case today in, in this synagogue setting here on this particular Sabbath day. Jesus is, I'm assuming, teaching in the synagogue or maybe listening as someone else teaches and He looks over and He sees a man with a withered hand. He's got a paralyzed hand. And so he sees him, and then he looks over and he sees the Pharisees and the scribes, and he knows what's going to happen, right? He's already had these interactions with these guys. He knows where their heart is. It wouldn't be that hard, even if you weren't God, even if you couldn't read their minds, as he's already shown that he could, it wouldn't be that hard to figure out. They're not too hot on him. They don't like his teaching. They don't like the implications of his teaching. And so he sees the man with the paralyzed hand and thinks, I'm going to heal him. I'm going to help him. He looks at the Pharisees and thinks, they're not going to like it. Everyone has a decision to make for Jesus. You cannot sit on the fence. Today, if your faith has been middle of the road, it's decision time. The Pharisees tried to sit in the middle of the fence. They didn't want to make a decision. Maybe they were scared. Maybe they were not unanimous in their decision. Maybe they didn't know what to do. Maybe they're scared of the future. I don't know. I know that you can't stay on the fence. They couldn't, neither can you. Let's watch what happens. Mark chapter 3. Uh, Jesus, in verse 4, said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? He's kind of got them in a, in a bind there. Because if they say, Well, no, you can't heal this guy on the Sabbath day, the normal Jewish person is going to look at them and say, That's ridiculous. That's patently silly that you can't help someone because it's a Sabbath day. So Jesus kind of got them in a bind here. But they were silent. They didn't, they didn't know what to say. He, you see them doing this a lot. They kind of don't know what to do with them. Verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger. I looked up that word Greek. It's not righteous indignation. There's a different word for that. He's furious at them. He's just seething anger at them. Why? Well, he tells you. Thank you, Mark. He's going to tell you. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. 
And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He's going to heal this man. Even though the guy didn't ask for it. The guy's just in the synagogue. I'm assuming worshiping, listening to the lesson. Jesus sees the guy, has compassion and pity on him, and heals him. Even though he knows what's going to happen to the Pharisees. And it's a way of making the Pharisees make a decision. So what's your decision? What's your decision today? What are you going to do with Jesus? Who is he? Is he God? If so, you've got to submit. If he's not God, then you leave whatever kind of life you want to leave. But if he is God, you have to submit and you cannot be your own boss. The last thing I want to point out to you from this, from this passage is, why was he so mad at the Pharisees? Because their hearts were hard. What's that mean for them? They were condemned. They couldn't be part of him. And he couldn't have connection with them. Remember the, the tax collectors and the other sinners that Matthew invited to his house to come meet Jesus? Because that's what disciples do. We have a longing for everyone we know to know Jesus. When they came, they came just as they were, right? Sinners. Hypocritical, ugly sinners. But they came for connection with Jesus. And they left changed, right? They left those lives behind. At least Matthew did. Zacchaeus does, right? When you meet Jesus, your life changes. And so, he's expecting the Pharisees, hoping against hope for the Pharisees to submit so that they can be connected to him, just like, just like all these other sinners are. But they won't do it. And he's furious at them. This happens at least on a weekly basis, maybe a daily basis in the house, but has your, have your children ever done anything where you thought, this is a bad, 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 bad decision. Please don't do this. Please don't go down this road. And you, you, you with every fiber in your being, you, you urge them, please stop. You try to talk logic. You, come, you get to break out the dad face, right? You <laughs> do not do this, right? Please don't do this. But what happens? They do it sometimes anyhow, right? What's that do to you? It breaks your heart, but there's a little bit of anger there too, isn't there? I told you I was trying to help you, and this is just going to hurt you. Can you imagine that if one of your children was going to be condemned forever, and you saw it coming, how would you urge them to stay away from that decision? That's like, I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here with the scribes and the Pharisees and this man with a withered hand on the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's forcing, because they have to, he's forcing the Pharisees to make a decision. He's taught like no one has ever taught before. He's healed with power that no one's ever seen before. The evidence for his divinity is obvious. Submit. And they just refuse. And so he's furious with them. Not out of a, a spiteful, hateful anger, of course, but just like you would be with your children when they've made a decision that you know will hurt them. Check out the Father's heart. Isn't that amazing? We talk a lot about God the Father's heart. You see it here in Jesus as well. Last week he had, he had pity on the leper. This week, he has pity even on the people who will eventually kill him, who will mock him, who will slap him in his face. 
people ridicule him. He has pity even on them. Because he sees that they're making a decision that will ultimately condemn them. It's a father's heart, right? That's the God we serve. Isn't that amazing? There's a lot of times when you don't know what to do. Maybe you're there right now with, with the pandemic and with all the other stuff that's come with 2020. <laughs> kind of don't know what to think, right? Don't know what to do. Don't know where to turn. There's times when I come in contact with that kind of line of thinking, when a couple of truths I rely on very heavily enter my mind and won't let me leave them. Is God real? No doubt in my mind. Absolutely. He's real. Does He love me? Absolutely. Look at the Father's heart. Has He found a way to be connected with me? I believe He told me that way in Scripture. Even if nothing else I know makes sense, those three things make sense. And then everything else will be okay. Everything else will fall in place. It's got to. I serve a God who is real, who loves me, and has found a way to be connected with me. Nothing else matters. So this morning, if you're not connected to the Father, what are you waiting on? It's decision time. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't wait another minute to make this decision. You may not have another minute left. The Pharisees didn't. Their time clock ran out. And they made a bad decision. And it grieved Jesus' heart. This morning, if you've got a decision to make for, for God, why won't you make it? Why won't you come to Him today, being baptized into Jesus' blood, having your sins washed away, and becoming connected to Him, becoming part of His family, so that all the promises are yours. This morning, maybe you've already made that decision. You need to say the prayers of this congregation to get through one more day in a righteous and holy way. We want to pray with you and for you that you can be who God would have you to be. Won't you come as we stand and sing? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. I still will follow, though none go with me, I still will follow, though none go with me, I still will follow, no turning back, no turning back, my cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, I'll follow Him. Close out our service this morning. We'll sing hymn number 273. We'll sing the first and last verse. I know the Lord will find a way. After this, Amber, the Steve McLeod will lead some prayer.
Precious Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we bow for you, bow before you this another day you've created for us, dear Heavenly Father, so very thankful for the blessings that you bestow upon us daily, dear Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day, we're thankful for the opportunity to gather together. Dear Lord, I, we ask that you be with those who are not a recipient of the grace and the love and, and the forgiveness as at this time because they've not come forward they've not repented of those sins and they've not submitted themselves to baptism dear heavenly father the the joy and peace that they missed dear heavenly father they don't know yet dear lord we just ask that you give them an upper, another opportunity to to come to you before it's everlastingly too late dear heavenly father we ask that you be with all of us as we leave this place dear lord with so many things dear heavenly father in the nation that have made for troubled waters dear lord and, and anxiety and fear and Anger, dear Heavenly Father, emotions that we don't want. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask that you be with us. First and foremost, that you rid this land of the COVID, dear Heavenly Father, so that we may be able to return to a more stable life, dear Heavenly Father, a more normal life that we may attend and worship together as an entire family once again. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us as whoever takes over the role as the President of the United States, dear Heavenly Father, realizing and, and having faith that no man has power, dear Heavenly Father, unless you give it to him, dear Lord, and, and uh, it is part of your plan. Dear Heavenly Father, during this time, Lord, let us meet, help us to be those that meet anxiety with, with confidence. Help us to stable ourselves, dear Heavenly Father, that when we're confronted with anger, that we can, we can confront that with peace. When we're confronted with fear, we can confront that with confidence. And when we are confronted with hatred, we will meet that with love, dear Heavenly Father. Help us to have the strength to be what you want us to be and what have us to be in all circumstances, no matter what happens, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for your, the sacrifice of your Son and the way he made the hope he gave to us, dear Heavenly Father, that no matter what happens here on this world, it is not our home, dear Lord, and we have a, a home in heaven with you after this is all over. Dear Lord, be with us. God, guard and direct us always. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.